Hello and welcome to Schick Talk, a podcast produced by the Swine Health Information Center. I'm your host, Barb Detterman, and we're happy to welcome you to learn more information about an emerging strain of PERS 144. To discuss this strain of PERS that we have two excellent experts that are willing to share their knowledge with all of us. We have Dr. Paul Yeski from the Swine Vet Center at St. Peter, Minnesota, and Dr. Daniel Linares from Iowa State University. Schick, along with the American Association of Swine Veterinarians, hosted a webinar about this strain of PERS, and there was a lot of, of interest about it. So gentlemen, let's get right into the subject and discuss. First of all, is this a new strain of PERS? Dr. Yeski? Uh, when we talk about the RFLP patterns, it's just the way that we uh, name these viruses, and it's not a new RFLP pattern. We've had that before, uh, but it certainly looks like it's a def- different variant, has been classified into uh, a new classification, the 1C, and so it does look like it's a, a different uh, evolving variant that's come out here that's been a more aggressive strain, should we say, as far as it gives us all the clinical signs that PERS does. Uh, they're just a little bit more dramatic. Okay, and Dr. Linares, are you seeing part of that in the diagnostic lab? Uh, is Iowa State seeing some of those tests coming through that's showing the, the emergence of this strain? Yes, definitely since uh, around October, November of uh, 2020, about now January, February, 2021, there has been an increase in number of cases submitted for PERS PCR, and those that are sequenced, the lab spits out the RFLP pattern. And for those that are classified as 144, since that same time of the year, it has uh, been picking up, right, in a uh, in number of in number of cases, especially here in the Midwest, Iowa, Minnesota, more specifically. Okay. So what are the symptoms or signs that practitioners and producers need to watch for that's relative to this strain, uh, Dr. Yeski? Certainly what we've seen with it has been on the sow farm side is uh, the first thing we've seen is sows going off feed. And so uh, we'll have a few sows one day and then it moves very rapidly, seems to move very rapidly through the herds and you'll go from uh, 10 to 20 sows off feed to 250, 300 sows off feed. So it does move very quickly through the barn. And uh, the sows go off feed. And about the time they start to go off feed, we also start seeing abortions. And the abortions tend to be fairly significant numbers, probably more significant numbers than what we typically see in a, in a PERS outbreak. So they happen fairly rapidly. And then also a fairly high sow mortality. And so what we've seen is at the same time we're uh, seeing the sows going off feed, we got the sows boarding, we've also got uh, the sow mortality starting. And it does move, as I said, through the farms relatively rapidly. We've seen them move through in that two to three week period, um, essentially go through the entire population very quickly. So if a producer or practitioner sees these kind of strains, What's, what are they supposed to do? How are they going to know what they're dealing with? Yeah, the best way is to just make sure you go through and do your basic diagnostics, uh, whether you're doing serology or whatever you're doing for your normal monitoring. This one, I'd say we picked up more based upon the clinical signs because the clinical signs are pretty dramatic. And so we go in and we'll blood test these sows. And what we're finding is that there's very high viremic levels, meaning there's a lot of virus in the blood. 
and I think that's been a part of why the virus spreads a little more rapidly is it's just producing lots of numbers in the population and in the area. Okay, so if a practitioner or a producer starts to see something like this, they need to notify their veterinarian right away to make sure that they're uh, getting the proper diagnostics taken care of, okay? Yeah, and then the grow finish, nursery grow finish, we'd be using uh, certainly the oral fluids and looking at that because that's a very rapid test you can get done. And uh, with this particular virus, sometimes we have a difficult time of sequencing out of oral fluids, but the, the viruses are so uh, numerous in it that we can oftentimes even sequence right from the oral fluids uh, because the CTs are low enough, the, the cycle times are low enough that we can find enough virus to be able to, to get the sequence done without having to go in and do further diagnostics. But for the grow finish side, it's a good one to go in and do. And basically what we're seeing there is we've seen for farms that have water meters, we'll see the water consumption drop off dramatically and that's followed by feed intake. And so feed orders go down and we've seen some, in younger pigs, we see more mortality. In older pigs, we just see them kind of slow up and, and stop gaining. We had one opportunity where uh, we saw the water intake go down and happened to be in a barn where we weigh pigs and do uh, some tracking of the weight gain in there. And we saw those pigs just, they'd been gaining about 2.4 pounds a day and they dropped down to a pound a day for two weeks, following when they dropped off on the water consumption. Wow, hey, Paul, would you say that uh, the co-infections, they also go up and you see synergism there with uh, streps yeah. and myco and all that uh, GPS and those secondary bacteria as well? Absolutely. Whatever you have in the herd is going to be more of a problem. Uh, several of the herds we had were, they had been first myco-negative herds, so we didn't see as much there, but we had one herd that also had a co-infection with influenza. And that influenza certainly hit at the same time the PERS did, and uh, I think definitely complicated the issue. So any any bugs that you got in the herd that are active, I think are gonna get more active once the virus comes in. Sounds like a, a nightmare for a producer, by the way, guys. So if the producer sees this, they go through the diagnostics, the first thing as a producer, would I would think would ask, okay, what do I do to make sure I don't get this? What, what can I do to stop this? Dr. Linares, do you have any uh, tips for us on those things? Well, that goes back to a couple of things. It's biosecurity and biocontainment. Biosecurity for those farms that don't have it yet. And of course, biocontainment for those, particularly those that are part of a production system or that are connected with other have a, uh, what we call epi connections or people or pigs connections with other herds, but you wanna make sure that you have practices in place to prevent that virus from being further spread. When we talk about that new viruses, as uh, Dr. Yeski was talking about, it's not completely, it's still PERS virus, right? It's a new variant, yes, but it's, it's still PERS virus. So everything we know and everything the literature uh, there is out there, on prevention for PERS, it's gonna prevent for, for this as, as well, right? There's nothing that we are aware of that, that would indicate that this virus moves around in other forms or ways. It's, it's still PERS virus, so it's the old and good biosecurity and, uh, and biocontainment to prevent infection and prevent further spread, respectively. Back to yeah, some- Barb, and I think uh, one of the things to just remind producers of is you know, sometimes we, we think we have a, a, a plan in place 
-hmm. and it's being executed different than uh, than what we thought or over time things just naturally tend to change and so going back and reviewing if you hear it in the neighborhood or you hear it in the area you want to or if you got it in one herd and not the other you certainly want to go back and review those procedures and make sure that everyone's doing uh, what you think they're doing uh, because sometimes you get new people and the training changes and or they they remember it differently or whatever but it's not the same as what you intended and so going back and reviewing the procedures is good you know if you've got some weaknesses out there you know if it's a filtered farm and you've got some air leakages you want to fix those right away and you want to make sure that you're executing you know like your loadout your high risk procedures you want to make sure you're ex executing those uh, very very well and on grow finish sites you know if you're using a shared mortality pickup you want to think about you might think about doing that differently in this time frame too what are we just some basics that producers need to think about well like you said the things that we think are being done but are they being done what are some of those basics that producers need to be stop and think about again i think anything you bring into the unit you want to make sure that um, you know where it's been and uh, you know, and any repair people that are coming into the unit, you want to know where they've been and where their tools have been and how they cleaned up their tools and any new equipment you're bringing in, you know, isolate it ideally, disinfect it or fumigate it through a isolation or a fumigation room, have a good bench entry system so that we're not tracking things in and just making sure people are doing the bench entry right. Uh, that doesn't always happen the way we think it does. And then the loadout procedures are probably the other uh, major risk areas that we see and just making sure that it's a it's a one-way ticket out of the farm and we don't have the pigs coming back and uh, we don't have any contamination coming off the trailer back to the unit you know washing disinfecting those areas if we're filtered farms you know making sure we got that positive pressure make sure that's all working properly so that we are generating that good positive pressure and having that break between the outside and our unit and making sure the trucks are clean and disinfected and all those basic things that uh, we want to do anyway, but just reconfirming those things and are taking a good look at everything and just making sure it's what you think it is. Dr. Linares, do you have anything that you could add for uh, in that area of uh, prevention or taking stock of where we're at? Yeah, no, very, very good list. And as Paul knows that most herds, they have opportunities also to re revisit the number of those events happening on a weekly basis or monthly basis. Employee, for example, can you reduce the number of employee? Well, it's, it's not about that to reduce the number of times that they enter, but you can always revise how many times they have to go back out and then back in the herd. What are the activities around the farm that they can do? Can you schedule that for the very put that in the at the end of the chores list so that they they prevent one uh, re-entry in the farm same thing with uh, pig movements can you schedule the best you can uh, either cold sows or wind pigs or whatever movement you gotta do are there ways to, to plan to reduce the number of times that uh, that those things happen right every every event that you prevented is uh, several uh, opportunities that you prevented for the virus to get in the herd, right? There is the truck driver, there is the trailer, there is a lot of stuff happening uh, every time there are those events. So focusing on trying to reduce that is is important. And the other thing I would like to, to add is 
just the importance of monitoring, right? Not only that with diagnostics and oral fluids, like Paul uh, mentioned about oral fluids, right? There is oral fluids, processing fluids, depending on the age group, there will be different samples that can be collected. But on top of that, there is just watching for those clinical or PERS, PERS associated clinical impact things that Paul also mentioned, like as number of styles of feed, number of aborts, losses, uh, per per week, right, or, or per day. If you see that those that those numbers are going up, there's something maybe going that uh, it potentially uh, an outbreak. So as soon as you think that there is an outbreak, even if you before you confirm, so maybe already you can already start doing things like uh, changing people and pig flow, right? That uh, pyramid, uh, respecting downtimes. Maybe there was a technician that was scheduled to go from farm A to farm B, and now that you think that that farm is stay on hold, let's further investigate before you can proceed with that, right? So it's about, uh, again, biosecurity, but as well as biocontainment. Awesome. So in other words, if whatever you observe, stop the extra movement, stop the extra mm -hmm. flow of things going through the diagnostics and before you get the confirmation. Stop yeah, I always say, I always say uh, Barb, that uh, bad news doesn't get better. Uh, the quicker you, you tell somebody about it, the better off you are. You can take that opportunity to save a risk that might have happened inadvertently before. And so uh, the quicker you uh, talk to somebody about what you're seeing on the farm, the better off uh, the whole system and your neighbors are. Definitely. Yeah, one, one comparison is today, if you have kids with fever, especially if they have some respiratory disease, respiratory stuff, you just don't send them to school, right? To test them, you you wait for them and then... Uh, once they are clear, then you send. So it's uh, it's the same concept here. If something is is off, back, and uh, and test, verify, like uh, Paul said, make sure it is what you think it is, because we may have a surprise, and then uh, you you resume resume operations based on what what you really have. So we were talking about co-infections going up during this time. Could that be confusing to the producer or even the practitioner? You know, if you've got something that's flaring up and these, it's just, oh, it's another building breaking out with that. Are those co-infections a possibility of confusing the whole situation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime we see, you know, it may manifest a little different and how it looks and it may not look like what you'd expect uh, just because you're seeing more of like in a nursery stage, you might see more strep or parasuous issues and you've got the PERS underlying and everybody's concerned about the strep and parasuis and it's the PERS may be setting that up and, and allowing that to be worse. And so sometimes it'll change how things manifest and, uh, and how they look. And so it may not present the same on two different sites just because there's different uh, profiles on each farm. And you have shown right point different uh, meetings the, where, where that when you have flu alone, it's not as impactful as you when when you have flu and PERS and same thing for mycoplasma. When you start stacking those up, they one plus two equals four or five, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So as a producer, when we're looking at this and um, trying to work through, you know, what's going on, if we or our practitioner don't understand what's going on, what's the steps we need to take other than talking to our own practitioners, what's some additional steps we can take to get more information about this or get to the bottom of things? And I know, Paul, you kind of ran through a quick uh, diagnosis history of what you got to do there, but 
you know, if you've got a, someone that doesn't really know what we're looking at there, what do we do next? Yeah, I think it's always good to communicate with uh, your diagnostic lab. And, you, you know, if you're not getting the results you're expecting, you know, talk with them and see, are the samples, are you getting the right am animals sampled, uh, number one? And then, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to go back and retest because you didn't test the right ones. And I think having that good open communication with your diagnostician, with the diagnostic lab, and then the diagnostician that's working the case uh, can oftentimes give them that history that they need to say, well, yeah, it could be there. I need to look here. And so they'll look some different ways and and they might have you go back and do some different testing because sometimes they just miss it. You have to go back and do some re resampling to, to ensure that you're going to get the right diagnosis at the end of the day. That makes sense. Dr. Linares, do you have anything that you'd like to add there? Oh, very good. There is always the the quick and, and easy and fast, right? Which is goes back to the oral fluids and sent for a PCR. It's really good for screening and for first. It's very, very, very sensitive. And uh, like Paul said, if you don't, if you get results that are unexpected, the diagnosticians always appreciate receiving tissue samples, especially if those as, are as fresh and uh, uh, as fresh as possible. And so that they can look at the lesions, right? And based on the lesions, they, they, could, they could match and understand better what's, what's going on and better help the producer and veterinarian with uh, what's, uh, what's causing those, those lesions. Is it bacteria, is it virus, what kind? And so you keep investigating further as, as needed, but you may wanna always start with a quick and easy and fast, which is the PCR that a lot of times you get the results the same day. What are, what are the top three things that a producer needs to be looking for during this time of year, whether it's the strain of PERS or influenza or whatever, what are the top three things a producer should look for as he's going through his herd, his sow herd or his grow finish herd, whichever, whatever he's working with, what are the top three things they need to look at? I think, first of all, you always got to look to see, are the, are the animals uh, eating the way you expect? That's probably our best indicator. And the other one is, are they drinking the way you'd expect? And so in Grow Finish, we, in the sow herd, you have a, a good monitor in the fact that the gestating sows are a good place to look because they should clean up their feed uh, every day. And if they don't, something's not quite right. Where in the Grow Finish, they're on cell feeders and sometimes it's harder to know what that feed intake's doing. Uh, but water intake is a real good, good method to give you an early indication that something's going wrong. When the water consumption goes down, Pigs should be on an increasing consumption of water, and when it goes down, something's wrong. And then certainly looking for other signs like labored breathing. Uh, certainly if there's mortalities, you know, open them up, take a look at the pigs. Look at the pigs too to see if you see labored breathing or other clinical signs that the pigs are showing you uh, as to what's going on are, are probably the first thing in, in figuring out there's something wrong with the pigs and, and just knowing that what's normal and what's not normal is probably number one. Dr. Linares, do you have anything that you'd offer to producers that they could uh, help us figure out what we need to do? Oh, very, very good list, uh, very good uh, advice, right? Look at the pigs, you know the pigs and you know how they behave. So anything that's changed its uh, indication. Always wanna look at the numbers too. You know your numbers, you know how many deaths, uh, how many losses, how many aborts, how many this. Look at your key performance indicators if they don't look like uh, they should uh, be looking. So further investigate, especially if, you're, if you have to deal or monitor multiple farms, 
And if you don't have access to those on a, on a daily basis, right? Look at the numbers and especially those key performance indicators. There are some for, for each type of farm, right? So you could always rely on numbers too. And, and especially if you're recording that on a daily basis, you can keep monitoring that and further investigate as needed. When you think, huh, there's something funny here, shouldn't have that many deaths, for example, then you could further investigate. Yeah, other, and just like other things, Barb, uh, when you see something, say something. And <laughs> if you're in a large production system, you want to make sure that you're communicating that something's changed on your farm and you may not know what it is yet, uh, but you want to let people know so they can uh, not make an inadvertent visit per se. Same thing with your neighbor. If you're a single production system or a single producer, uh, just let your neighbors know that something's not quite right. Bad news never gets better. <laughs> that's, uh, that's good, especially because th there are some people that say, oh, there's something bad here, but I'm going to fix this before I communicate up the chain or to my neighbor or something, right? Uh, I'm sure I'm going to figure this out before. So, because I want to give good news, not bad news. But uh, sometimes you, you have to be prepared to give the bad news and say something's wrong. Let's Let's investigate. Let's work together on this, right? Very true. In closing here, let's offer your your advice on this purse strain that isn't new, but changing and, and differentiating. Just kind of recap for producers what we're going to look for and what we're going to see that's different about this strain and how it's going to affect our production. Yeah, I think as, as we look at the pigs, we're going to see things we expect to see with PERS. Uh, the clinical signs we've seen with PERS for years, we're going to see them. Uh, we're just going to see a little bit more of a greater magnitude of whatever we're looking at. If it's mortality, abortions, off-feed, uh, it seems to be a higher magnitude. And so, and it does seem to be moving fairly rapidly. It does seem to move in areas. And so communicating with what's happening in your neighborhood is a good way to know what's going on because it does seem like there is an area pattern to it as well. And I think those are things we can be looking for and, and actions we can be taking. The other actions we can take are just going back, and I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but uh, going back and reviewing those biosecurity uh, procedures and making sure we're doing those uh, on a daily basis the way we intend to. You always wanna be good, but uh, if it's in your neighborhood, you wanna be really good. I always say I'd rather find out I've got a biosecurity weakness uh, before I find out in a, a PERS outbreak investigation that I had a biosecurity weakness. And so I'd rather find out ahead of time and have a chance to fix it. Very good, Dr. Linares. Yeah, no, very good. And if, if you wonder, I found a, a PERS virus here. Is it this one that people are talking about? Is it not? You can always talk with your diag diagnostician and they they can run a, a dendrogram, right? So invest, uh, uh, investigate, invest, compare the virus sequence with with the ones in the library, the video library, and they can let you know if if it belongs to this lineage one C that Paul was talking about, or if it's one of those kind of historic uh, one four four or one of those one four four that are in other regions currently circulating but not genetically distant to this one. So always talk with the the diagnostician; they can help you figure out what's going on. I have one last question for you. Is this widespread? I mean, like are all the pork producers in um, the state of Iowa, the state of North Carolina going to have to fight this? Or is this kind of, I know you said that it's moving in an area and it has an area pattern to it, but is that changing and is it spreading faster than what we thought? 
No, I, I think that in response to is the, is the virus moving within areas? Yes, I think it is. Uh, currently, I'd say it's um, Northern Iowa, Southern Minnesota, and has been moving. And basically we see this one because the clinical signs are a little bit more severe. And so it's got a little bit more consistent uh, footprint, if you will, uh, clinically at least, so we can see it without having to sequence and know that information. And the sequences are backing it up. They're backing up what we're seeing in the field. And so I think that's helping us to be able to see some of these things moving in an area. Uh, but right now I'd say it's been in Southern Minnesota, Northern Iowa. It's hard to say exactly how far spread that's been. Daniel might have a little bit better look at that with, uh, with the data that they've looked at. It wouldn't be surprising if it continues to spread, right? We move a lot. One of the, one of the main routes in which uh, this virus and a lot of other viruses move around is, is uh, with the pigs. And we know that we move about a million pigs every day here in this country, right? So uh, it would, would not be surprising. We saw that happening with uh, all the previous first viruses that we, that we have currently circulating here. So I think it's a matter of, of time. What we can also expect and, and hope that has happened with previous strains like the 144, for example, that emerged and changed in what was that 2014, Paul, around there, mm -hmm. right? It, initially, it was extremely more virulent compared to the previous ones, but then over time with herd immunity and being established across the U.S. herd, then that virus, it's not that it's not pathogenic anymore, but it's, it's just uh, it, uh, downgrades back to the regular Right, to, to a normal first virus. And hopefully we're gonna see this with uh, this, this virus uh, again, time will tell, but we should keep monitoring, keep uh, diligent with biosecurity, like Paul Yeski said, uh, you always have every, all, all farms have opportunities to improve biosecurity. So it's a good time to, to do that. And if, if not for first, it's gonna help you with, uh, with other viruses, right? PD, uh, there's many, there are many others out there. So. Biosecurity always always helps, and that's a good reminder reason to go back to your biosecurity audit, right, and re review and implement opportunities. Anything else either one of you would like to add on our subject? Thanks for having us here. It was yeah. really a nice conversation. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to be able to at least give some of the experiences. It's one of those things you don't necessarily always like to have to experience, but at least we can hopefully help others going forward. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much. And gentlemen, I really appreciate you taking time to uh, discuss the new the PERS-144 strain and how it is affecting producers in the United States. And I appreciate you lending your expertise to those uh, folks who listen to our Chic Talk podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to Chic Talk from the Swine Health Information Center. Learn more about our organization and our mission to protect the health of the U.S. swine herd at www.swinehealth.org.